0: Hello and welcome to eavesdropping Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm José. And we're talking about a big event movie, 1917. Written and directed, co-written, and directed by Sam Mendes. Who um, you were telling me you don't really like.
1: No, I used to uh, teach American Beauty as an example of a bad film.
0: Okay, would you quickly go through why that's a bad film?
1: Well, because it was like very obvious. It, it underlined every great theme. It had really stupid symbolism, like that leaf twittering, you know, these endless shots of a leaf flying into an alleyway
0: and stuff like that. Well, wasn't that the plastic bag? Oh, so it was the plastic I think you're thinking, bag. I think you might be thinking of the feather from Forrest Gump. Okay as well. Yeah, yeah. well you know, yeah. So obvious. I mean that's probably a good word to use for this, I'd say, although I would say All things considered, I quite liked it. I thought it was great. More than I expected to. Much more than I expected
1: to. Yeah, I mean, I expected to hate it, so you know, I I thought it was really, really good.
0: Particularly considering that the bulk of the marketing that I'd seen for it focused on how it was made, because they were really selling the idea that this is meant to look like a single take. It's actually... It's not, though. No, but it's like seven or eight big, long takes that have been stitched together. Um, Although I would actually... I would say that there are so many opportunities for it to do invisible cuts when things pass in front of the frame. And entirely. they
1: look, and they looked like it. I, I, I it mean, it looked like it did. Often, every time that they'd be in the trenches and they do these long shots, but then they would turn a corner or something, and the edges would get blurry, and you think, oh, they've done something there.
0: Yeah. So actually, my suspicion, and this is only a suspicion because I haven't seen this confirmed or anything. Like that. I haven't really read anything about the film other than you know what the marketing has told me. But my suspicion is that actually when they say seven shots, what they actually mean is seven scenes. Mm. And that they were using the opportunities that were presented to them, you know, moving behind trees, moving behind rocks, that sort of thing, to stitch together different takes of those scenes. I wish um,
1: filmmakers would stop doing these one-shot you know, exercises. It's pure showing off. It's not the best way of telling a story. What you gain through having unity of time and space... You learn in all other kinds of things. I mean, there were some things that, you know, were driving me a little bit batty. So, you know, you're often introduced to people by their knees and then the camera has to go up. So, you know, they have all this dialogue, which is, you know, focusing on our protagonist or something. And then the camera moves up and you see Mark Strong or, you know, whoever it is. sure because
0: your main characters crouch to the ground. That's right. Yeah, yeah, so,
1: you know, things that you could have really simplified with shot, reverse shot. It feels, like, false, really. The same thing with the map, with that scene with Colin Firth reading the map, right? Where, you know, they have to do, like, kind of, you know... Yeah, they
0: work a way around to make the captain... He tells the characters to move around him, and that sets up a new yeah. shot, basically. I there, there, feel- are, there are points like that where it feels quite artificial, but I did think... Ultimately, the point of this is to tell uh, almost a real-time story. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the plot... It's a very high concept, high directional thing, not unlike something like Snowpiercer, I'd say, or Gravity, um, and also in that kind of event thing, where these two young uh, soldiers in the trenches in 1917, British soldiers, are given a mission to take a message to a nearby town where a massive you know, going-over-the-top fight is about to start, uh, whatever, movement, I guess, troop movement, is supposed to be starting. It's going
1: to be an attack the morning after, which is a trap. By the Germans.
0: Yeah, the Germans have been playing this for ages, and they know all these all these plucky British Tommies are going to be coming over the top, and they're going to massacre them. And so the thing is, get there, stop this from happening. So it's a, it's a single mission. And the single shot uh, sort of gimmick, if you like, uh, or idea, is there to try and communicate... You, know, you start at one end of the mission and you finish at the other end of the mission and you follow them the whole way.
1: But my impression is that that's false anyway because my impression is that the time that you're actually seeing is a day.
0: I'd say roughly speaking, this is a, a, sport or a spoiler I suppose, there is a, an actual quite deliberate cut in the middle where your main character gets uh, knocked out and wakes up several hours later. Yes. So you're supposed to be seeing two... Large sections of time, but those two I think are supposed to be kind of real time essentially. Mm. Um, I, d- I maybe mean, the second moves a bit quickly because he does start off in the middle of the night and ends up in kind of daylight, yeah. Um, so but, but I think that moves kind of fluidly, and I don't think that's sort of a mistake. I don't know, but
1: anyway, so- I don't want to be persnickety, but it just feels to me that these one shot exercises bring out the worst in people that they're not necessary and you know they can be really artificial and get in the way of the storytelling now that said I thought you know that this worked incredibly well you know and I was very moved by it and I was very moved by the storytelling and the plight of the soldiers and you know it has yeah. some like really lovely scenes and by the end i was really like you know oh, the tears were flowing <laughs> yeah, were they really well yes, i mean i noticed uh, I did uh,
0: notice that the film was having kind of a physical effect on you i mean early on when you're well you re- really don't like rats is what you said no i'm and, phobic and you see rats quite a lot when the when the, the the soldiers first um cross uh no man's land and move into uh the german trenches which have been vacated there are rats hiding around and then there's one of the rats in a, in a German Heidi hole sets off a tripwire and there's a massive explosion. And, you, and when all that stuff was happening, when shots fired out, you were really jumping. Yeah, yeah. And going, oh! It's, yeah. it's, I mean, I haven't seen you respond... You, you are a fairly jumpy person, I'd say, uh, in the cinema. Sure. But um, I haven't seen you jump quite that much in a while.
1: Well, I thought all of those things that they did where you think you're seeing sand or something and then there's skeletons sticking out or... You know, yeah, just you, you,
0: you see bodies strewn around, and they're not there to make you jump, but you jumped. <laughs> no, some things are.
1: I mean, you know, the scene where he cuts himself or something, and then he, you know, he puts his, he just goes, you know, to hold himself <laughs> yeah. with his hand, and then he finds that he's put his hand through somebody's stomach. I mean, yeah. you are meant to jump. It's true, yeah. I laughed. Well, I don't know whether I was meant to. I went,
0: Ugh. but I laughed <laughs> at that because I thought that's a bit of slapstick.
1: Well, I didn't see it as a bit of slapstick. I I saw it as an attempt to get the reaction that I gave, basically. You know, and very successful. Anyway, I liked all of that. I liked very much. I usually hate these films where, you know, you have a who's who of the British acting profession kind of making these little cameo appearances and, you know, and so on. But actually, I think in, in this one, they worked really well. Everything, you know, everybody was like really beautifully cast. Uh, Mark Strong was excellent.
0: I love Mark Strong. Uh,
1: and Richard Madden at the end was beautiful, actually. Firth, it was like a little nothing of a part, but you know, he's meant to be playing this big general, so he kind of has that authority now to just kind of convey it, basically. So I thought all of that was great, and our two young protagonists were excellent, really.
0: George Mackay plays uh, the main character, the lanky one, and uh, Dean Charles Chapman plays the uh, fat one, that's yes. what I call them, Tolly and Fatty, yes. um, and in the mission that Colin Firth gives to them, one of the aspects that is revealed to you, that actually he brings up, is that Fatty's brother is in the company that's going to be going over the top, that is going to be massacred, mm. and it's very clear, although completely unstated, that the reason that he's chosen Fatty to take on this mission because it's Fatty who picks Tawley to go with him. Let's not call him Fatty. What is he? Lance Corporal Tom Blake. Yes. The reason that he picks Blake to lead the mission because it's it's Blake who picks Schofield Mm. uh, to go with him is clearly that Blake is going to do anything to save his brother because the moment that they leave that briefing and they're sent off on the mission Schofield saying let's leave it let's wait because it's daylight they're going to see us and Blake's going no we're going now I've got to mm. save my brother mm. so that actually worked in a really subtle way because it's, it is completely unstated. I think you know? yes you it's know, you unstated
1: but it's a driving force exactly yeah, and, so. it's,
0: and, it, and it becomes then something that ends up driving Schofield because he feels the relationship or the, the um, obligation to his what becomes a fallen mm. comrade to complete the mission. Although I think that's a little... I, I, I mean, t- there, was, there was an aspect of their relationship that I didn't quite believe, I suppose. I think it might actually come down to the performances, which I didn't quite believe. Why? I don't know. I It would be too much to say I was struggling with the film early on, but I wasn't into it early on. I didn't believe the two main characters. For some reason, I just didn't believe in their accents. I didn't believe in their performances. Things felt a little too stilted and on top of that the single take thing really wasn't working for me early on just because it was so mechanical i was looking at how they were getting the shot you know where the camera's moving how they're being kept in frame all that kind of stuff mm. i was really rather like i was with uh, the film last night um long day's journey and Tonight, mm. you know i was looking more at the technique and the technical side and the craft than i was the story being conveyed
1: i was doing that as well though i must say you know i was thinking oh my god this is you know the way that they're varying this is wonderful because mm. you know there are variations in color and the, amongst the trenches and then they film some things through barbed wire and then the bridge right so all to kind of create movement and dynamism in the image and
0: mm. you know
1: kind of it was always interesting to watch really
0: i mean by the points you're you're talking about i was actually far more into it i would say my turning point was when Mark Strong came in. Oh. Um, for some reason, I just kind of thought, here's a here's a guiding hand. Here's a, someone I can rely on. And, and he's got two very short kind of bits, basically, where he greets Schofield and then sends him on his way. And you just see him for a few seconds each time. But he is... I don't know how to describe it. Reassuring would probably be the best way. Like I just felt safe in Mark Strong's capable hands.
1: Well, I liked all of the performances. I thought... George Michael was beautifully cast because, you know, he's always got this kind of... He's not a warm actor, so he always keeps you slightly at a distance. You know, you, you never feel you're reading his mind, right? Yeah? Mm. He's not transparent, you know, which is kind of his character here. You know, and that stoicism and uh, keeping things reined in and so on, you know, his casting works very well for the character. Whereas the other guy, you know, he was, like, really warm and he did draw you in and actually you can see the connection between... The two of them, you know, and I also think that there was this thing about so there's like this whole discourse about medals and wanting them and getting them. And, you know, one of them already has them, but he exchanges for a bottle of wine and, you know, and you think, well, what is it that is driving this? And really just kind of, you know, the whole driving thing is it's not even so much. Well, yeah, it always is about saving 1600 lives, I suppose. But I think there's also this thing of just doing your duty, you know, which is Hmm. a driving thing.
0: I probably haven't seen enough war movies to... I mean, there are so many, and I have seen loads, but I haven't seen every one out there, and I haven't seen loads of the big ones. And of war movies where there is like a real central mission to what's going on, it occurs to me that this might share a a kind of interesting kind of kinship with Dunkirk from a few years ago, the Christopher Nolan film. Mm -hmm. And the the kinship I I would suggest is that these are films that aren't about great victories. These are films about avoiding disaster, saving lives... And I wonder whether there's a, whether they kind of together suggest a new or changing way of looking back at ourselves where, or, or looking at ourselves today, where we're some, where somehow, we're avoiding, because other, other films that would be about kind of missions would, I would say, be about boasting about a victory. Mm. Um, kind of talking up like you were talking about rah films. This this doesn't feel like ra rah There are aspects to it, but... And I would say the same about Dunkirk. This doesn't feel like rah-rah, aren't we great? It's talks about, God, we got away with it. Mm. You know?
1: I like the way that the Germans aren't vilified, which it would have been very easy to do. There was a moment throughout the film where you know I was going to have a tease on a friend because there was this gay film about you know a generation of people and the coming of AIDS and he kept saying well where are the women you know uh, there's no women in the play Uh, and actually there was you know in the second half a very important kind of but but you know small role uh for Vanessa Redgrave you know and I thought I'm going to have this tease on him and you know tell him where are the women in this in 1917 there's (laughs) no women where yeah and of course the argument is you know that some stories are very specific But then, of course, we did get this French woman. I think it's kind of an important role. So it feels both tokenistic and important. I can't quite sort my head around it. So there's the baby, you know, there's the women. You know, it's used for symbolic purposes. It's obviously meant to evoke uh, the Karl Mackay's character's own family, which you know nothing about until the end. But anyway, I thought all of those pieces Mm. kind of, you know, fit in together very well. And it was relatively discreet. So, for example, when Blake you know, gets killed by the German, you almost see it off-screen, don't you? You actually...
0: Yeah, like you see the German's there and Blake is trying to help him because he's just been in a plane accident. We've been shot down. And while the camera is off with Schofield getting water, you hear Blake being attacked. And when the camera turns around, you see the knife that the German has being removed from his stomach. Mm. Like you might even see another stab or two, but... Like mm. the attack is basically taking place off screen. Mm. You see the aftermath.
1: Yeah. So, um, I liked a lot of the details, you know, the hot coals indicating that it's very recent, the fact that somebody had milked the cow again indicating just, you know, what danger they're in, that there were mm. people there just a little while ago. I like the randomness of things. So he's trying to cross the bridge and all of a sudden bullets start hailing. I liked all of that, really.
0: I would say there is a feeling of solidity to the world. You really believe that... I think you believe in the distances that are covered. You believe in the the environments that they're walking through. And and the long-take aspect, I think, is important to that. And I happened to eavesdrop on a couple of people after we left the cinema who were walking out in front of us, who were guys in probably their late 20s, early 30s.
1: An almost all-male audience of a certain age.
0: Yeah, the guys who sort of left in front of us. The only thing I caught from them was one of them saying, you know, that's what real war felt like. Something like that. You know, so clearly, whether it's the hype and marketing had done its job or whether the film had done its job, like it something had done its job and, and it conveyed what it had meant to convey to this guy. And it's, I can see why. Yes, you know, I thought,
1: I, you know, I was very fascinated because initially I thought, OK, this is how you do a small budget film of this kind, right? Because it has no stars, really. You know, certainly no one who would carry international box office. It's not too small budget, $90 million. Well, I know, I was getting to that. <laughs> oh, sorry, okay. Right, uh, you know, so I thought this is how you make it, right? You, you, you do it in one shot and you've just really focused it on two people. Yeah, you don't need thousands of extras and so on. <laughs> and then as the film unfolds, kind of you begin to get masses of soldiers and first a few you know then many you go through the trenches and packed with soldiers and then of course kind of you know at the end really masses right but 90 million i wouldn't say it's low budget but for a film of this kind um in comparison to the two and three hundred million that some of the marvel films are yeah Mm. it's yeah it's not huge
0: no, but, I, I mean, that's it's a significant It's longer. a significant
1: budget. Yeah, 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 yeah. And especially, it's a significant budget for a film that's so British.
0: Yeah, know? well, this is something that, that, again, it probably has in common with Dunkirk. Yeah. In, in that it's one of the things that was so amazing about Dunkirk to me. I forget what the budget was for that, but it was over 100 it was, million. It was huge. It was massive. And um, one of the things that was so amazing about that to me was that it was... British, it didn't have a victory to celebrate in it, yeah. and it had
1: uh, no stars either. Yeah,
0: you know, the only star was Tom Hardy, who was behind a mask the whole time. Yeah, you know, so that's something like, that I think speaks to the clout that Christian Erland has. You know, sure. I mean, the guy, the guy is just for some reason he can just get Warner Brothers to fund anything he likes. And, well, and, and with like, reason, that, was, too. that was a hit. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I think, But I think that's a com- another commonality here because this, you know, let, let's not, let, I don't think we can talk down the budget and say, you know, it's not that huge. It's a big budget and it needs to make a lot of money to make its money back.
1: It's not, it's not a big budget for an action spectacular like this one. I mean, you know, it has hundreds of extras, lots of special effects, you know, considering what it is and what it's about and that it has no box office star helming it. It's quite a risky project.
0: Yeah, yeah, Um, the set pieces are wonderful, and it has real moments of beauty and feeling. I I, I would think particularly later on. So the scene with the girl underground and the baby—you know—I could see exactly why I should be cynical about it and all the rest. But I was—I was with it. I loved that scene. I felt you know the connection between those characters, and then I suppose there's the moment where. While the attack is incipient it's happening the first wave is going over right at the end, in order to stop it, Scofield goes over the top himself, and it's just such a wonderful visual moment, and the music's great with it as well thomas Newman's score yeah and the camera is pulling back and it's a shot you know there's a shot of it in the trailer camera's pulling back with Schofield running towards the camera, and all of the soldiers are coming out right to left, and this running at cross purposes. It's such a simple idea. It's such a simple visual concept, but it, it works so well. Yes. That's where the film really shines, I think.
1: That's very good, and I love that as well. But let's backtrack to the woman, you know, because <laughs> I thought that was, like, completely artificial and kind of stupid, right? So this town is burning down. It's completely shell shock. Yeah, he enters this basement, and there finds a woman, and they begin to communicate and the woman has a baby, and he gives all his provisions, and later on you find out why, because he's also got children, and is very empathetic, but it turns out the baby's not hers, it's just somebody's baby, right? And what the baby, he offers her all he's got in terms of food, and she says, well, the baby can't eat that. Which you would think, you know, you're in a war zone, maybe the baby can't eat that, but you can, like, you know... You wouldn't say...
0: Well, sure, I don't think she was turning it down. She was just saying, this isn't no good for the baby.
1: Well, it's no good for the baby. And then, of (laughs) course, he provides some milk that he'd gotten, And I thought, well, that's a nice way of tying in the milk from previously to this. I saw it coming a mile away. But then, you know, what the film doesn't communicate in any way is, this milk for the baby, it'll last a day. What'll happen tomorrow?
0: Yeah, I I know. I thought that too. But, I, you know, I wasn't going to get into... the. I mean... I let it go. You know? <laughs> you know, what's he going to do? Not give the milk, say, well, it's only going to last you no, a day, no. but I'm going to have it now. No, but
1: the film could have had a point of view on it. Mm. Could have made it more tragic, yes, that the baby will live another day. You know, there are things that a film, a better filmmaker would have conveyed.
0: No, I think if it had done that, you would have criticised it for being overly sentimental, saying, well, the baby's going to still die.
1: Well, that, that I wouldn't it as sentimental. That's probably what would normally happen in a million of these cases. And the message could then be that the important thing is just to live through the day or whatever. I, you know, there are more complex thematics that could have been drawn from that scene rather than just make an analogy that this guy also has children that he's hoping to return to. Mm. I thought it was a bit cheap.
0: I would definitely say it was cheap. And this is one of the things when you said obvious about Sam Mendes at the start, that's one of the reasons that I thought, God, that's such a good word to describe him. Because it was an obvious scene. Mm. But... That doesn't mean that I didn't connect with it and didn't like it. and I' would probably say the same, I mean it's a while since i watched it but I'll probably say the same about American Beauty. I probably like that movie. Maybe I like obvious things. sometimes they work. Um, but I you know I definitely think that worked in there and once I you know there was definitely an aspect to nineteen seventeen or getting into the swing of things, I think it starts off very boring. It I don't find it boring. I definitely found it boring early on. I mean, right at the start, when they're walking through the trenches, walking through their own trenches, that is, you know, and you're really just starting off their story. The story wasn't interesting to me at that point. I was distracted by the method of shooting. Later on, once things develop, you know, I found that really did start to recede into the background. I mean, you never forget that's what it's doing. I was always looking at the single take thing. And kind of paying attention to, or oh, I wonder where the cuts are. You know, playing that game yeah, of trying yeah. to figure out. But you know, they did start to recede, and it started to work to its benefit once sort of unexpected things happen, and that's kind of part of the thing. So you know, he gets to the bridge, and the bridge is broken. He's going to have to cross by foot. Then the shots start ringing out. All of a sudden, the story changes. He's got another thing to go. You know, this is not an unusual. This is not a particularly original. Like this is what these stories do. But um, I thought
1: this was particularly well paced. Yes,
0: I agree. I think it was, um. and. And there is an overall, I suppose, kind of environment of war is hell type of thing. Like, uh, you get to the end. Well, I mean, first thing is, the German trenches being strewn with dead bodies, mm. you know, that you reacted so vociferously to. That is awful. And they are, they are horrible to look at. You know, there's a certain level of gore, which is and that's slightly quite, not the right word. They're
1: not quite horrible to look at, because on the one hand, you know, and I like this about the film, to me, they look quite pretty. And then you look closely... And you see, actually, that's not yellow sand. That's somebody's teeth sticking out, right? Like, Yeah? <laughs> right. Um, so it took me a while to begin to look for these things, right? Because, okay. you know, the first impression was, yeah, oh, this yellow sand, yeah. And then, actually, it's gradually that you see that, you know, there is, like, a face sticking out or an arm or a leg or, yeah, you know.
0: So for you, it was, like, part of the landscape. It was then revealed to be... That's right. And quite discreetly. I mean, the camera
1: doesn't... To give you a close-up of it, you discover it for yourself, really. No, sure. Well, um, what,
0: there is there is that one where where the, the, the bottom right quadrant of the screen was a close-up, but it was a subtle close-up. It wasn't, again, it wasn't designed to make you jump. Yeah. It was just, it slowly came into frame and into focus, a huge deceased German soldier's face. The
1: film is really emotionally savvy, you know, much more so than you run of the film. It is It is a film that's designed to move you. Right or to to work on your on the audience emotions, and that is very knowledgeable of those potential responses. I mean, here I think you can you can detect uh, Sam Mande's experience in the theater, you know, Ah. um, because he plays on audiences' emotions uh, like very beautifully and without exploiting them. Right, but so for example, I mean, again, we're talking about the Blake character, right? He's so warm and appealing and engaging. And he carries, I think, almost all the first third of the film, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and then kind of when he dies, the tone shifts. And it really, it is, at that point, it just becomes about doing one's duty and surviving. And you also get the sense that, you know, there's a lot of chance and luck about all of it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, in all of those instances where he's shot at and he survives, really the only thing that saves him is chance, like, any of those bullets could have hit. It's not as if he's doing something to mm. escape or avoid them. He's just running, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, the scene with the airplane and the Germans is very exciting. The death then becomes very moving. Then there's the bit where he rejoins British forces and Mark Strong comes in. Yeah. And there are bits of com- camaraderie and exchange. And, yeah, but also, like, yeah, that he's got to leave that and do it on his own. I... You know, I would like to chart a graph of what the expected emotional response is <laughs> because I bet you there is one, right? Yeah. You know, culminating the scene in um, the forest where they're singing, you know, that religious song. yeah,
0: River of Jordan. River I don't Jordan. know what the song was, but... Yeah, I don't know what it was It's about either. the River of Jordan.
1: Yeah. So it's a religious song about deliverance, really. Um, so, you know, it's all very beautifully judged, you know. And by the end with the exchange with the brother I was really in floods Yeah, like kind of it really got to me
0: it understands how to hit those kind of emotional crescendos and do so in different ways so I mean the the one with the brother is the uh, familial friendship sort of half of the story if you like the other half is the completion of the mission and and getting them to stop this essentially suicide attack Mm. um and that I think is a fantastic scene with Benedict Cumberbatch because I mean you've ha- you've had it set up quite slyly early on with Mark Strong saying when you give him this note make sure there are witnesses because if you tell him on his own he's probably just going to go ahead with the fight some people just want the fight yeah. he says it better than that but that's the and idea and actually
1: more threatening than that because the implication there is he will shoot you and continue
0: and so the point where he gives Cumberbatch this note well, he's, he hasn't given him the note yet but he's trying to mm. and Cumberbatch is saying piss off. The, you know, things going ahead, we've got them on the run and so on and then he says uh, Schofield this is, says and he's off camera at this point, the Germans have been playing this for months, yeah. Months. they know you're coming, they want you to do this and Cumberbatch is away from the camera and he kind of hunched over his desk and he just gives this nod to his second in command second in command goes, goes and takes the note and gives it to Cumberbatch and this is all off screen the camera's just on Cumberbatch's face and I think this is really deliberate canny direction mm. because you hear this sound and to me that sound was the note being ripped up. I don't know if you picked up on that. No, I didn't pick up. I thought he's ripped this note up and he's saying fuck it and then when he opens a note and you see that he's opened it and he reads it, he calls the thing off but I thought that's one of those sort of punch you in the guts like, oh God, it's it's gone. It reminds me of Okay, this is going to sound dumb. But at the end of Jurassic Park 3, right, <laughs> there is there is such a, um, there's such a Spielberg moment in that where there, there's, I think it's a Spinosaurus, a giant dinosaur that's going to kill them all. And they're in the boat. Oh, spoilers for Jurassic Park 3, I suppose. They're in the boat and they manage to finally make the phone call that they need to, to get people there. And they call Ellie Sattler, Laura Dern's character. And it's like, yes, they're going to be saved. And then you see the other end of the phone call and it's her, like, four-year-old son who picks it up. Uh And you go, oh, no, they're not going to get the call. The kid's not going to know anything. And it's such a perfect, like, oh, no. Oh, no, it all went wrong because of the... uh, I felt like that is in the Benedict Cumberbatch bit there. Oh, uh, God, he's going to rip up the note.
1: He's very good in it, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, actually. He's excellent. Um, I think Andrew Scott's cameo was very disappointing. I don't know what I expected. He didn't do anything wrong, but... Do you think if the character's not good enough, he's not good enough? I love him. I mean, the things I've seen him do on stage is just so brilliant. So I I don't know whether it was him or whether it was the character, but it's almost like if you're going to use Andrew Scott, it needs to be something more weighty, more narratively weighty than that. Maybe that was the problem. Because, you know, what role does he play after all?
0: His role is essentially to warn them that this is suicide and they're all going to die, and that's about it. You know, that's it. He so you see, actually stop them. So you see, all
1: the anything. other cameos, Colin Firth, he brings his whole star persona of authority into it. Mark Strong as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as well, right? Um, and then, you know, the other two cameos are Richard Madden, but he's got a really meaty role. You know, a really meaty scene, right? It's like his brother, you know, but he's also an officer. Yeah, there's all these conflicting things about the duty and your feeling and he's trying to repress feeling and, you know, it's a wonderful, wonderful moment, beautifully acted.
0: Andrew Scott is not given anything, really. Andrew Scott, um, this is how I would sum it up, using my new favourite word, obvious. It is an obvious performance of an obvious role. You know the character is very obvious. He's someone who's cynical. Everything's going badly, and the performance of it is not that creative. Despite that, I quite liked it. You know, Actually, so maybe you know, I like obvious things. things. Maybe I mean I love him, but
1: you. Know, there was a moment where I was thinking, this is the fucking problem with British cinema. You know, and this tradition of stage acting because you can see how Andrew Scott is gaining effects. You know, things he does with his face you know mm. accenting line readings like he's obviously like a beautifully trained actor but never for a moment do you believe he's a soldier he does, <laughs> he embody it absolutely yeah? yeah and i thought well this is the whole problem i mean i was exaggerating but it, but that is actually what i was thinking right that you know cinema is as much about being as performing and actually when you don't believe that a character is then no matter your training or your accent or your line readings or how you're entertaining the audience or the effects you're creating, mm. it's not good.
0: I would say um, the same thing probably about Colin Firth in this. I think you're right that he brings that the star persona that he brings with him. I I think kind of informs his character. Like you, I think there are things that, you, that he brings to it that you know about him before you even hear him say a line. Do you know what I mean? It's, but, um it was his... only there for a
1: nanosecond. I mean, yeah,
0: but so is Andrew Scott. I mean, these parts are only there for a nanosecond. But as you say, Mark Strong does a lot better with his. He gets more out of it. He makes a bigger impression. And uh, the fellow at the end, Rob Stark, um, what's his Richard name? Richard Madden. Richard Madden is, you know, he's there for for half a second as well, and he just ties the emotional sort of end of the film together unbelievably well. I mean, I was stunned really at that. Scene and, it, and, it, and it is a moment of The whole of film builds to it,
1: you know, yeah. and it's beautifully realised. And actually, like I said, I just completely succumbed. Uh, so, Were you really
0: in tears or were you exaggerating? I'm not... A, for effect. You
1: know, I mean, I wasn't weeping, I wasn't heaving my shoulders or anything, but the tears rolled down. I oh, did they? For sure, wow. yeah. Like, I mean, you know, I kind of, I had to wipe them away because it wasn't... Oh, that's clearly. lovely. Yes. <laughs> so um, it's always lovely to cry in the cinema, but I was thinking then, you know, what's the film about? So, I mean, what are its themes, and how does it work through them? Well, so, I, I
0: do think that uh, I was I was kind of heading towards bringing that up. I think earlier when I was talking about that affinity I see with Dunkirk about this being not about a victory but about a kind of retreat, sort of thing. You know what I mean? Um, that I I think there is something in here that signals an evolving way of British people thinking about ourselves. You know, I, I mean, I am struggling to, to think about it in more detail than that, but I think there is something notable about these two films being, being not about we are fantastic, but about we had to just survive. Yes. Maybe it's an evolving way of looking at war as well, I don't know.
1: And maybe this thing about the bottle of wine being worth more than the medal yes. is an interesting kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Um. I mean, that's an interesting part, I suppose, because um, I'm not sure that it, it coheres entirely with the rest of his character, because his character is, in that moment, talking about... That's a, a bauble to him that the military has bestowed upon him, and he says, just a bit of tin. And at that moment, he talks about his family. He says, when I was at home, and I knew I had to come back, I could barely, uh, you know, kind of uh, bear to look at their faces or whatever, because I knew that they wouldn't, mm. oh, wouldn't be able to stay. So... The question for him about his personal investment in what he's doing is what comes up there. And then the death of Blake gives him a renewed reason.
1: A renewed purpose. Right. He's not doing it, you know, for country or king or whatever. He's doing it for his friend.
0: Yeah. And when he tells people he meets along the way, I have to get to this town because it's a suicide mission. Obviously he doesn't want sixteen hundred British soldiers to die, but you feel it the whole way that it's about saving the brother.
1: Yeah, the whole thing about the sixteen hundred soldiers, you know, you do think, well, you know, kind of millions died, right? Like what sixteen hundred more are you <laughs> and, and millions, you know, thousands are going to die tomorrow and thousands are going to die the day after. So are really you're really going to risk your skin for, you know, something that is almost inevitable that will happen every day. <laughs> that was my feeling right really yes that there was other motivation needed so you know the sense of duty that it's the right thing to do you know the sense of doing it for your friend or going to do it for your brother so that your brother doesn't die I mean the film gives you mm. other reasons than the fact that 1600 people might die right yeah you know because because actually that's quite abstract isn't it you know so I actually I think the film is very good in anchoring it on more specifics
0: mm. Um, we probably shouldn't avoid mentioning Saving Private Ryan as well because that is based on a similar mission. Well, no, the mission is different. The mission in Saving Private Ryan is save the brother yes. um, to get him home because five other brothers have died, or however many it was. And in this, the mission is stop the attack because it's going to be suicide, but then his additional purpose and the additional motivation given to them by Colin Firth mm. is... The brother is there to be saved, mm. so you know there is a difference there. But but there is there is something similar about those stories, and and the thing is in same Private Ryan, I think, um, because it is in no way a, uh, a kind of militarily advantageous thing to do to put these people on a mission to save a guy. Mm. It's all about the nobility of the mission, and in here, I don't think you know, I, don't, I don't think it's all the film kind of really is implying that or beating you over the head with it. It's maybe there underneath. You know, you do the mission because it's the right thing to do and because it's your orders. But um, I wouldn't say the film is kind of browbeating you or trying to browbeat you with an idea of there being a nobility in the mission. It's just, this is the mission.
1: Well, but it's never just this is the mission. I mean, this is the mission, but actually undertaking it, doing it, overcoming it, all of that is noble. I mean, you know, they could have hid... You know, they could have just gone into a trench and hit until the day after, right? Like, yeah. you know, and so many things happened that would have been an excuse to quit. Or, yeah, so there actually mm-hmm. is something noble in doing your duty and in persisting and overcoming your, your physical capacities in order to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, he could have stayed with Mark Strong's group of people, you know. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, so he gone six so months down to the I, bridge. There, there were choices that he made, yeah. Yeah.
0: And they I they all come up after Blake has died. Yeah. Before Blake dies, he's just he's following Blake and he still really would like to go home if he could. Mm. Um and it is once Blake dies that he takes it on and, and I yeah, I say I agree, like it the film does start to convey a nobility in the character, mm. a nobility that he takes on in the mission that becomes his purpose, becomes his driving force. Mm. Um Although I would say, I mean, I don't think he would actually give up the mission. But his motivation and purpose changes. Yes. Um, He puts those rings and the dog tag in his pocket and it becomes his thing to deliver them to the brother. Yeah. Which, although, again, totally subtle and totally not stated. I mean, he's got no one to say it to. I'm going to take these to his brother. But once he gives them to his brother, it makes sense of it. Yes, yes.
1: Um, So i 'm not sure it's a great masterpiece of the cinema but it's a very good and very effective film that kind of really works it's a real male weepy you know <laughs> and I think uh, and I think men of all ages will enjoy it greatly
0: can I say one other thing which I think it's actually quite beautiful to look at
1: oh yes my god yes. maybe
0: not always but I certainly in that when he emerges into the town at night and there are flames and kind of uh, flares and rockets lighting it up I thought wow
1: I mean it's Roger Deacons and actually even you know, so those big things, it's almost like you expect them. But little things, like in the death scene, you know, mm. and the way that George Mackay's face is lit, you know, his nose is shining. It's like, you know, yeah. he's glistening. It's almost like he's an angel or something, <laughs> you know, in guiding, you know, his dying friend onto, you know, the, another, the afterlife or to death or whatever. Yeah, but there's something about the way that he's lit, the kind of the lighting itself is kind of ennobling of him. It's really kind of amazing work, but then it is Roger Deakins and you kind of expected really.
0: Yeah. And I think it's been it's been cleverly and quite sensitively composed as well. Mm. In the way the camera obviously never cuts, quote unquote. But it moves from set ups to set ups between one shot and another and you and you get these I think will become quite memorable. Um, shots so you know when they're walking through the, the trees that are in blossom and oh, yes, sort of that's the side and right the background one in front yeah. and, and the death scene where the camera's low to the ground that sort of thing and the shot where he comes over the over the top like I said and you've got the, all the soldiers running one way and he's that's running beautiful. the other you know there are it sets up there are moments of real visual poetry yes. and beauty yes Yeah. alright so, so I, I liked it and it's worth seeing the cinema we saw it on the, on the big IMAX in Cineworld Birmingham and I thought it was worth it
1: it is the one annoying thing on IMAX, if I could just say this before we quit, was initially, with the handheld camera in the trenches, it was driving me crazy, you know, because- it's Too shaky. Fo- it's too shaky. The focus kept going on and off, <laughs> you know, so it has like, I mean, I know you're meant to feel like you're in the trenches with them, but it was like kind of this inability to keep things in focus, you know, plus the bouncing. I must say that's not something that I picked up on. It was annoying. It didn't
0: feel excessively shaky. I didn't feel really shaky at all to me. And I certainly didn't pick up on it going in that focus. I thought it, it was it was shallow focus and it would rack focus to things it wanted you to look at, but it didn't feel to oh, me. I didn't like think it. it
1: was racked. I thought it was like whoa. There may, may be aspects of that. And and I must say that was only the beginning. You know, once they got out of the initial trenches, yeah, that disappeared. But initially I found it very disorientating. Good. But I love the film, so, and I highly recommend that you see it.
0: A new chapter for Sam Mendes in Jose's estimation. A new, a new
1: chance. <laughs> a second chance of doing something better than he's been doing in the past.
0: You quite uh, liked Skyfall, didn't you?
1: I quite liked Skyfall. Um, I love the opening sequence, but it was too bloated, you know. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, in a way that this one isn't. So, yeah, I'm not convinced about him yet. But I think, you know, actually I think this is my favourite film of this. High so, praise. High praise indeed. Yeah. So I highly recommend that you see it. Thank you very much for listening.
0: We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on... iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube and Spotify to listen to us. Our social media is Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs>